Hi everyone, I'm Sophia. And I'm Prerak. And this is Red, White, and Brown, a podcast where we talk about the joys and struggles of being Desi immigrants. So Sophia, today's topic is super exciting. I don't know if you've noticed, but there tend to be a lot of CEOs who are brown these days. I mean, not these days, just in general. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Like if you think about it, the most recent announcement was the CEO of Twitter, Parag Agarwal. And then we have Google, Sundar Pichai, Microsoft, Satya Nadella, and multiple other companies such as IBM, Adobe, Palo Alto Networks, VMware, and Vimeo, all who are led by uh, brown people, which is awesome. So with that prequel set, I figured we should make this episode because the moment Parag Agarwal got deemed the CEO of Twitter, all the news outlets went crazy. They're like, what is up with these brown people going crazy with like all these CEOs positions? And according to the BBC... I'm going to link this news article in the show notes. They see origin people account for just 1% of the U.S. population and 6% of Silicon Valley's workforce and yet are disproportionately represented in the top brass in terms of CEOs. Why is it? Is it something in the water? Is it just the Desi mentality? Is it the culture? What's going on here, Sophia? And I think our podcast is in like the perfect position to unpack this. (laughs) So, yeah, I agree. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't beaming with pride every time a new Desi person was anointed CEO of like some major company. It's Mm -hmm. definitely like kind of exciting every time that happens. Most recently, Lena Nair, who just became the CEO of Chanel two days ago. Um, you know, we're recording this in December of 2021. So um, you guys might be hearing this a little a little like later in early 2022. And I'm sure there will be even more they see CEOs <laughs> by the time you guys listen. Um, but it is so exciting. And there's a meme that we just posted on our Instagram recently that sums it up. And it's you either like die a founder or live long enough to see a brown guy run your company. (laughs) I love it. And um, we're going to link that in the show notes. But I think we need to discuss the insights into what it takes to be CEO and then maybe talk about why do you think they see people are good at it? Because it seems like we Mm -hmm. all we end up there. Not all of us, obviously, but seems like certain parts of they see culture make us better um, or maybe even worse to address these aspects. So why don't we unpack that? Does that sound good, Sophia? Yeah. I mean, I also want to discuss the flip side of that because I want to make sure that we're talking about some of the negative aspects to this trend as well, you know? Not negative as in like they see people shouldn't be CEOs, but like, I don't know. I do think there's something to unpack there on like why they're CEOs and not founders or things like that. Ooh, that's a good one too. So founders versus CEOs. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. So Sophia, when you think of a CEO of a large company like Google, which is Sundar Pichai or Microsoft, Satya Nadella, what are the qualities that come to mind when you're thinking about like, who do you want leading something like that when it's already established? I guess... I'm going to try not to like bias myself because I've listened to um, podcasts that like Satya Nadella has been, I think, on like Freakonomics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like, I think my initial thought would be like, obviously intelligent, but like disciplined, organized, maybe even strict. I can buy that. Um, And I think those are very good adjectives to get started. But unfortunately, I feel like if you were to ask anyone to describe themselves, they'd probably describe themselves with those words, right? Like no one's going to say that they're not disciplined unless you're like really candid or like not organized. Um, But another quality that personally comes to mind when I think about CEOs is like you often have to be like problem solvers in like every Mm -hmm. sense of the word. Like think about the problems Google faces, right? Like people probably use Google for terrorism. People probably use Google for like a lot of things that are 
very tough to solve. And so how are you going to solve some things like that? Like technical problems, interpersonal problems, ab abstract problems. And what's interesting the most about CEOs is that the Indian CEOs we talked about, Satya, Sundar, even Parag, 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 Parag. I feel like I need to say his name correctly. Parag, right? Like that would be the Indian way to say it. I don't actually know anyone with that name, but like... It's not Parag. <laughs> yeah, I feel my instinct was to say Parag because I just feel like that's how American people would say it, but that's definitely yeah, not Yeah, exactly. Correct. I feel like it's... That was my instinct. So let's do the other one because... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be Parag. Okay, so Parag now is uh, CEO, but like notice that all of them were actually born in India and then came here, right? They're first gens. They're not necessarily brought up here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is this overall, it says a lot about the overall environment back in the homeland and what qualities that creates that then let them come here and then be successful. Yeah, that's very interesting. It You're right. It's never they see people who were born and raised in the U.S. or like who were babies when they came here. It truly is people who grew up in the subcontinent. Um, and I think the fact that they grew up outside the U.S. also gives them, you know, an understanding of two very different cultures. Um, and I think not belonging fully to American culture gives them a humility and like a drive to work harder. Um, and maybe that also contributes to allowing them to progress up the ladder. Okay, Sophie, I don't know how much about tech you know, but you're like hitting the nail on the head because I know tech a lot, especially now that I've done the MBA. And another thing I'll tell you about all of these CEOs, Satya Sundar and Parag, is that all of them actually worked their way up. So none of them were just like randomly brought in as like an extra CEO. Parag Agarwal was working at Twitter for like five or six years and worked his way up all the way to be CTO. Same with Sundar. He was actually at Google for about like 20 years before he became CEO. And Satya was at uh, Microsoft for almost 22 years before he, he became CEO. So this like hard and fast work hard mentality seems to kind of be lining up with the things that we're seeing uh, in terms of them becoming CEO. It allows them to build diligence and like they, they're able to navigate their changes with humility all the while focusing on the end goal. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I don't know that much about tech. I'm just kind of like, here. <laughs> I, I'm just like saying random stuff that comes to mind. So I, I really, I didn't know any of that, but um, I don't know. I mean, it kind of makes sense to me and intuitively it sounds right. And I mean, what, what do you think about the aspect of like accepting change and uncertainty? Okay. I kind of see where you're going, but I don't want to bias you. So I want to clarify by asking, what are you implying by like uncertainty and accepting change. I, I guess like what I'm getting at is like all these people are immigrants, right? Like mm -hmm. they were raised abroad and then they came here. And I feel like being an immigrant kind of means that you accept some level of uncertainty and you're comfortable with that. So maybe I guess I'm hinting at like, is that also a part of why these people have been able to perform so well ex executives and like get promoted to the C-suite level? I think I totally think so. Like think about again, we thinking about the big problems that Microsoft, Google and Twitter face, they're going to be very ambiguous, right? Like Twitter with our last president, think about those problems. Mm -hmm. um, Facebook with the election, think about those problems. They're so open-ended and so ambiguous. You have no idea where they're going to go. And you yeah. just kind of have to embrace it. And for, for certain people that might like cause them to tear their hair out, right? Like it's so stressful, mm -hmm. but for these guys, it's just another day in the park. You know, they came here from a country that is ultra competitive with a lot of uncertainty. Um, but I, all that to say, I totally agree with your point, but I also feel like we can't get this far into the episode without acknowledging the fact that every person we have talked about thus far is a man, right? 
And while there are certainly incredible Brown CEOs that are women, like Indra Nui from PepsiCo and Lena Nair, who you mentioned earlier, it's clear that the evidence shows that Brown CEOs are disproportionately male, which actually aligns with the broader CEO trend in general of most CEOs being male. Like there's more CEOs back in the day named Kevin than there were like female CEOs in the top 500 companies. Wow. I don't know if that's true if you just made that up. No, like, that's true. Even even if you just made it up, I would I would believe that. Like, that's probably true. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the gender disparity for women in leadership positions is definitely an issue. Like, in 2021, the number of women running businesses on the Fortune 500 list was at an all-time record high of 41. But, like, 41 out of 500 is 8.1%, right? So, like, that's not that high. That's, That's not that high at all. Well, there's 50% of the population is women, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it, it really is an issue. And so like, even though this is progress and, you know, that's great, there's still a lot of room for improvement. And hopefully we can get that number to, you know, higher than 8.1% in the future. So what, what forces, Sophia, and I say this because you're a female, um, what sort of forces do you think are leading this to this sort of gap, given that you may have experienced some of these in your day-to-day life as as someone in medicine even? Uh, I mean, look, I think there's so much to say and this could just be a whole other episode. So I don't want to get too much into it, but I do think part of it is just gender norms that have been socialized into us. Like we Mm. know that women are less likely to negotiate for raises as men are. We know that women are less likely than men to apply for jobs when they don't meet 100% of the qualifications. So if the job wants like six years of experience and you only have five, like women are less likely to still apply for that job Mm -hmm. while men would just be like, okay, like five is close enough. Like I'll just apply. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a lot of studies done on, on this topic. So I'm, this isn't just like my opinion. This is like a fact, like women are less likely to kind of be aggressive in those ways. Um, And I think that all this is, and even if they are aggressive, I feel like they're like looked at differently than a man who's aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Definitely. It just all plays into like the socialization aspect. Um, But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like when they are too aggressive, then it's like, oh, why are, why are you being this way? And, <laughs> and, and there's like, I, I do think all of this is a result of women and girls being taught to be passive and like, quote unquote, feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that little girls historically have been encouraged to want to be a CEO, right? Like little girls grow up dreaming about their wedding dress, not about you know, what company they want to run or things like that. So Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, the other part of this issue, though, is probably just related to the penalty that women face for also taking time off or pulling back from work when they have children. Um, And then the biases that they face from bosses. Um, And like, again, there have been a lot of studies done where when men have children, they are deemed to be better workers. Maybe because like, oh, they have a family to feed, so they're going to work really hard while working mothers are perceived to be worse workers because they're, you know, employers will think that they're too preoccupied with the responsibilities of motherhood to be good at their job. So there's a lot of double standards there. And, you know, that could be a whole other episode. So Mm -hmm. I'm glad we touched on it because I think we will make this another episode in the future. Um, But as we zone back and we focus even just on brown leadership in general, I think we need to mention the importance and value that our culture places on education because I don't think that can be discounted in terms of why these people end up where they end up, right? Like any Mm -hmm. Indra Nui, um, 
uh, Satya Nadella, they end up as CEOs. But this focus on education, I think, is like this core competency that is like one of those selective pressures that I think makes us very different. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's play a little bit of Indra Nui's talk um, where she kind of goes into this a little bit. Yeah. Because if you want the best and the brightest to work in the economy, to further the economy, women are a big part of the talent pool. They're getting the best grades. They're doing phenomenally well in schools and colleges. I don't know if you have a daughter, Vinay, but I tell you, I look at the caliber of women. My God, they study hard. They want to make a difference. They want to contribute. They want to have the power of the purse. They don't want to be... Um, lifelong unpaid laborers. They want to have, you know, they want to have a life too. And so, but they also want to have families. So we have to create support structures to bring them into the workplace, to give them the choice to come into the workplace. We're not forcing anybody, it's a choice. Choice to come into the workplace, at the same time have a family, at the same time feel fulfilled in their entire life. Okay, so I find her fascinating, and she always has really great points. Um, so that was great. I do think also, Priyak, like we as immigrants who initially came to this country thanks to the embrace of diversity and honestly, like due to the civil rights movement, really, and the work of like black people before us, mm-hmm. um, should hopefully be more likely to advocate for diversity in the workforce. Like I think in an ideal world, like we should that should be a value that we are championing. I mean, I think Satya Nadella talks about this and let's play a clip from Freakonomics where he does, but he says that his journey would not have been possible without the embracement um, of diversity that America has. Not to say America has by any means conquered this issue because it hasn't, Um, but he notes that because of this embracement of diversity, he was able to get here. And so he thinks that it's only fair for him to pass it on. So let's just listen to what he has to say. I mean, I, I, I... I think I'm a product of two amazingly unique American things. Uh, the first is uh, this technology uh, that reached me where I was growing up that even made it possible uh, for me to dream the dream. And then the enlightened American immigration policy uh, that would be like to debate, but it allowed me uh, to come here in the first place and live the dream. Uh, so I think that that's what's unique about us. That's what is what makes us competitive. That's what I think makes us even uh, be the beacon of hope for people who need it the most. Um, And so I believe we should preserve it. We should promote it. uh, We should debate it for sure, because there are things that uh, we may want to change in how it goes, uh, how our immigration policy is implemented or how complicated it is or can be simplified. Uh, But that said, uh, I am uh, at least someone who I believe only in America would a story like mine be possible. Um, And so therefore, uh, I look at it and say, wow, if that's the case, then let's make sure and I I will at least do everything I can to make sure I advocate for that. This facet of diversity is something that's gained more traction as of late, right? Especially with everything we've seen happen in the last two years with the Black Lives Matter movement. But to me, the objective truth has always remained. To provide for a consumer base that is as diverse as the United States, you need to have companies that are led by people who are representative of the consumer base they want to serve. So it's not fair, and I'm sure you've seen this, all of those congressmen who are in there making decisions about the right of abortion, right? Like it doesn't make any sense to have men making that decision when they have no stake in the game, right? Mm -hmm. So with that being said, most Daisies 
owe our arrival to the U.S. to like the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, the civil rights era legislation that removed quotas and de facto racial discrimination. As more Indians rise through the ranks and, you know, regardless of how they get there, I think we have a responsibility to pay it forward and reaffirm the very structures and make them stronger to to create a more diverse uh, environment that gives opportunities to other underrepresented minority groups. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I do think that we have a racism problem in the South Asian American community. And I think that's part of, you know, why we did an episode last season on racism. But it's just so hypocritical to like not help advance other minority groups um, when we're in the position to do so. And I, I do hope that, you know, as you and I progress in medicine, like, as we kind of progress through our careers, hope that we can um, do the same in medicine and like help other groups rise up um, as well. And I hope the listeners take that message to their heart also. Push the ball a little bit further than where we found it. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's provide the other side of the coin, Sophia, that you alluded to. They see are great at leading companies because of all of the characteristics we just talked about, education, resiliency, hard work. But there's also an important distinction to draw here that you made. Note that everyone we talked about are CEOs. They didn't actually start the companies, right? Satya Nadella did not start Microsoft. Indra Nui did not start PepsiCo. So where do you think that delineation is in terms of why do you think Daisies have great characteristics to lead, but maybe aren't as as good at being like entrepreneurs and starting these companies themselves? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot to say here. And I think Farzan, my husband, who like was born and raised in India has also, um, like I've talked about this with him a lot too. And I guess my impression is that creativity is something that it feels like it's a little bit less valued in Desi culture. I mean, on one hand, like, Obviously, there is a lot of creativity in the subcontinent, right? Like, there are so many talented artisans and musicians and whatnot. Like, I'm not saying that there isn't a lot of creativity in the subcontinent. It's Mm -hmm. there. But I still feel like, from what I've heard, it's not necessarily prioritized in the education system. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that there's still a lot of memorization in schools in the subcontinent. And, like, you see it in movies and TV shows. Like, there's a lot of students repeating after the teacher again and again. And, like, that's not a strategy that you see in the West. Like, I've never done that as a student, like, repeating after the teacher, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, To the point where India recently passed something called, like, a national educational policy um, bill sort of Mm -hmm. thing, which is trying to transform their education system and do away with, like, the rote memorization. Mm. Um, And I read that, like, the whole, like, rote memorization thing was a policy that was actually implemented by the British as a strategy to subjugate Indians, which kind of makes sense. Like, I buy that. Dude, I mean, I would buy it, but you're totally right. And I don't you just mentioned this. So let's just share this video because it's that video that you mentioned with the teacher kind of literally reading letters aloud to students and they repeat after them. And this is how learning happens early on in India. So let's play that clip. B-A-N B-A-N G-E-R G-E-R O-U-S O-U-S So as you can see from this clip, it's a very different way of thinking, right? It's almost as if they're relying entirely on memorization to like learn spelling, which I think is fine, right? Memorization has a time and a place. And I think very early in our education, I think 
it's great. It's important to learn certain things and just memorize them. Mm -hmm. But I think after like elementary school, you really have to pull the brakes on memorization and start kind of accelerating your creative problem solving, you know, take it away from like, what's two plus two and apply it to like, how do I take two engines and combine them with four other ones to create something that's bigger than the sum of its parts, right? And that mm -hmm. aspect of open ended problem solving is not something you can memorize, you cannot memorize the solution to like, how do we get onto the moon, right? It's yeah. not a it's not a formulaic process. Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that's why India just passed this bill because they recognize that. And I mean, yeah, this whole memorization thing is not really done in the US. Like, again, I've never repeated after the teacher for anything. Like, that's just not a teaching strategy here. Um, I don't think it's a very effective strategy. And I guess the other thing is, I feel like there's also a lot more emphasis on hierarchy in Desi culture than here in the US. And like, hierarchy exists everywhere. But I definitely think it's more explicit and more pervasive in Desi culture. And like, I, I don't know, I mean, I kind of have a funny story that I'll tell, but you know, like how in India and Pakistan, there's a lot of like, sir and madam and ma'am and like yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm excited to hear your story, but to kind of even jump off of that point, I don't think it's that memorization is bad. I'm going to push back on that a bit. I think memorization is bad after a certain point. I think memorization very early on is good. And that's why a lot of Indians are very good at like baseline tasks. Like most of them will be able to do a lot of good math, but I think after a certain point, it just becomes useless uh, in terms of like helping you grow. Mm -hmm. In terms of that aspect of hierarchy you're referring to, I love that. I think it leads to when you're referring to someone as sir and madam, you are almost giving up your autonomy. And that leads to this unwillingness to challenge the fundamental assumptions of our knowledge, right? Even this the desire to ask questions. If I'm calling someone sir, it it almost makes me a bit more hesitant to ever go against them, right? Mm -hmm. Or and like or even ask them a question. Um and I can tell you in college, I was one of the most annoying students because like after class, I would just stay around for like 20 minutes and ask the professor like 80 questions. Sometimes they would be stupid. Sometimes it would almost like seem like I was challenging the professor because I was like, I don't get this. What do you mean by this? But the reason I feel like it was so helpful is because I realized I didn't ever have to like assume anything. And I could always ask a question mm -hmm. if I was confused because they always entertained it. And I don't know if I would be able to do the same thing in India because I almost feel like they'd be like, just shut up and like, go like learn your shit, you know, like, yeah. I don't need to be doing this shit with you right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I think hierarchy probably makes it a lot harder to ask questions or like challenge the person who's teaching you. Mm -hmm. Um, And and now that I think about it, I feel like even in our language, there's a lot more like respectful titles, like you would call your older sister or older brother by a title rather mm -hmm. than just by their first name. Which, like, that's very different from, like, Western culture, right? Yep. Um, even, like, every aunt or uncle has, like, a different title based on their relation to you. And, like, there is a lot more explicit use of respectful titles built into the language, which I think bleeds into the culture as a whole. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with the titles. I actually love being called Baya or, or, or calling someone Didi. I think that's cute. But the part that I have a problem with is that those titles implicitly, and Sophia, we're both psychology nerds, you know that the way we speak changes our behavior. So mm -hmm. when you're talking to someone as if they are like better than you and you're saying, sir, I feel like you're less likely to ask them a question. You know, it just way, it could be a real inhibitor to creativity and problem solving when you can't ask someone, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. You definitely are less likely to challenge them. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, the story that I was going to tell though is it's kind of like, it relates to the hierarchy thing. And 
it so basically you know Priyak and I are med students. We're in our final year and we are interviewing for residency as background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in like a Zoom info session for this program. Um, it's not a program that I interviewed at. It's a pro- like I was just at an info session for applicants who are interested in the program. Um, and there were all of these like Indian medical graduates on the Zoom who like want to come to the US to do residency, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. But like the way that they were talking to the residents and like the program director was so strange. Like they they were so incredibly like overly respectful, mm-hmm. like to the point where it was weird. Like you could clearly tell that the program director and stuff thought it was weird. And like they were just being overly grateful to the point where it was like very awkward. So like, I mean, they would, you know, people like the residents would introduce themselves by their first name and they would like, can be like, oh, like, what's your last name? And, like, call them doctor so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even when clearly they were like, no, like, address me as, like, Steve. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then, like, they were just so overly grateful, which, like, I get that you want to be grateful that this program is giving you an opportunity, but it's, like, there's a one-hour session for questions, right? So, like, everyone's kind of taking turns asking questions. And they were just, like, before asking their questions, they would be like, thank you so much for having us. Like, we really appreciate the opportunity to be here in this info session with you today. Like, there would be like 45 seconds of like thinking, and then they would just ask their question, what's your call schedule or like something. Yeah. But to the point where it was just like awkward, and it's like, you're wasting everyone's time who's on this Zoom. Yeah. And you could tell that the residents and the program directors were just like, this is not necessary. Especially like when each person says the same is thing. doing it again and again yeah. and it's like you're just repeating the same thing this is crazy and then the other part where it got really weird was like these there were like three girls who were it felt like they were in a competition with one another to praise the program more like to see who could praise the program more <laughs> this is so uncomfortable it's, it was so <laughs> weird and i i like can't give details without making it very obvious um like what the program was and I don't know, like it's not constructive to just like be making fun of them. And and they had like a bunch of other faux pas and they were like mispronouncing the name of the program and like mm-hmm. mispronouncing a lot of stuff left mm-hmm. and right, which like added to like the weirdness. But towards the end of the Zoom, like it got to the point where the three of them were just competing with like who could praise the program more. Oh, and man. it's like, this is not how you get into residency by praising the program yeah. more. Yeah. Like, that is just not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just really highlighted how important like hierarchy is, I think, in Desi culture and how much people in the subcontinent assume that like hierarchy plays a role in like training and stuff here. Absolutely. I mean, that's a perfect case in point example, uh, especially when you think about the fact that I'm trying to delineate how much of this was like a cultural gap and how much of it was them just extrapolating way more than they needed to, you know, like how much of that, like hierarchy was them knowing that this is kind of the way I've been taught and how much of it was like, I'm going to like take this to the next extreme because this is the U.S. and like then kind of just feeding off of everyone Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's clearly there was a cultural divide and the program directors and stuff thought that this was like you could tell from their face. They were just like why are you acting like this? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, I feel bad because they're shooting themselves in their foot. Without knowing it. Without knowing it. Because it's like, that's just not a thing here. Yeah. Um. 
No, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I think that it kind of brings everything together well, right? Like it's some, summates everything we started talking about, which is C, Indian uh, and Desi individuals in general make great CEOs because they have this ability to stay within the confines of what they're told and do it well. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're clearly not going to be the best entrepreneurs as of right now based, we t- based on what we talked about because of the fact that um, – this open-ended problem solving does require stepping out of the hierarchy a bit and and trying to find a way to be uh, stand out. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think we're at time, so we can wrap it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope you appreciated our just like weird little analysis that we did of uh, <laughs> all the Indian CEOs. And and correct, they are all Indian, right? I don't think any of these are Pakistani or Bangladeshi or anything oh, like that. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think, I think they're they all are. Indian. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was fun to kind of just psychoanalyze all of this. But you guys, if you appreciated this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Um, give us a nice rating and review. Follow us on Instagram at Red White Brown Pod, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.